How far away can breaking icebergs be heard? And what is the rarest statistic in baseball? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with some fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. Okay, Marsh, how far can you hear an iceberg breaking up? I will say 365 miles. I'm going to give you another chance with that, Marsha. <laughs> You're going to give me... And let's imagine that you are a scientist with... Special underwater microphones. Oh, so you can hear it underwater, we're talking. 500 miles, 1,000 miles. You're getting closer now. Here we go. Scientists have recorded the sound of icebergs breaking up in Antarctica as far north as the equator. Oh, my word. So from the bottom of the earth all the way up to the equator. In March 2000, the iceberg B-15 broke off from the Ross Ice Shelf in Antarctica, and it was the largest iceberg ever documented. It had a surface area of more than 4,200 square miles, twice the size of the state of Delaware. So it was big. Well, in the next few years, all the way up past the equator, 4,350 miles away, special microphones that scientists from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, suspended underwater, picked up these strange signals. Sound so loud they thought they were coming from volcanoes. Wow. They determined they were the melting, creaking, cracking, groaning icebergs. Wow. That's amazing. It is. That's very interesting. Okay, Bob, it's almost time for baseball. Yeah. Yes, it is. Comes springtime, comes baseball. What is the rarest individual statistic in baseball? And how do you define rarest? It happens, this has happened only 15 times since 1900. Really? <laughs> 15 times? It's not the perfect game, is it? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, and it's not home runs and it's not strikeouts. We know that. Right. Hmm. I don't know. What is it? It's the unassisted triple play. What is an unassisted triple play? <laughs> well, think about it. You know what a double play is. Yeah. Guy on third catches it and throws it to first, and you got two outs. The unassisted triple play. Your chances of making a triple play all by yourself, Bob, are 1 in 12,492. How do you do that? Well, for, I, I look for an example. Okay, picture this. An infielder catches a line drive. That's, uh -huh. that's one out. He steps on the base nearest him. That's two. Okay. And then he tags the guy who's running past him. That's three. Okay. 15 times since 1900. Think 15 about 15 <laughs> times in over 100 years. That's all the times it's done. 122 years. Wow. So the unassisted triple play is the rarest statistic in baseball. Correct, of all time. That's pretty good. Uh-huh. All right, Marsha, I have a history question for you here. What country stuffed its border bridges with dynamite during World War II? What country... Stuffed its border bridges with dynamite. I'm trying to think what country... I'll say... The answer is ironic. It is? Germany? No. No. Uh, what? What country stuffed its border bridges with dynamite? The peaceful nation of Switzerland. Okay. 
Oh, okay. Now, Switzerland may be neutral, but it's ready to defend itself, and it packed many of its border bridges with TNT during the World War II and Cold War eras in the event of Germany invading them or a Soviet ground invasion. They did this to all these bridges that bordered rivers, okay? That's smart. That included the famous 750-year-old Sackinger Bridge built over the Rhine along the Swiss-German border in 1272. Even though it's considered a national monument and national treasure, they loaded that with dynamite just in case. We may have to blow that one up, too. Uh Well, good for them. The government finally cleared that bridge of its explosives in 2014, but it won't say whether other bridges are still rigged to blow if the country is attacked. Don't they worry about them going off accidentally? Apparently like landmines? Apparently not. Jeez. What about kids playing underneath and going, oh, what's this? And no. Oh, you have a great imagination there. <laughs> okay, Bob, one more baseball question. Okay. In 1952, a 19-year-old Pittsburgh minor league pitcher named Ron Neller made history by being the only pitcher to do what? 1952. Uh, The only pitcher to do what? To do what? Well, can you give me any hint at all? Well, he pitches, and what are you looking for in pitches? A ball (sighs) to be thrown. (laughs) But what do you want as a pitcher? Strikeout. A strike, yeah. Okay. He got 27 strikeouts in a row, Bob. That's three batters per inning, nine innings. Every batter in every inning out. Wow. And he was in minor league Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. That's where a lot of these uh, records take place. Yeah. Ron Neller. And he he never went on. He got injured and stuff. And What year was that? 1952. Wow. Okay. All right. That's my baseball trivia for today. Thank you very much. <laughs> Okay, I got a question for you. What major pop music singer studied pre-med in college after arriving there on a fencing scholarship? Really? Yes. Okay, pop singer? Do I know him? Pop singer, you know him. Is he young or old? He's just recently announced his retirement. Oh, okay, so he's Pop singer, studied pre-med in college after arriving there on a fencing scholarship. Okay, that wasn't Mick Jagger. No. Because he was econ. This was an American. Okay, American, okay. He entered New York University on a fencing scholarship. Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think. Uh, I'll say... Neil Diamond. That's exactly who it was. Really? Neil Diamond. Oh, my god! He entered New York University on a fencing scholarship, and he must have been good at it because he only took up the sport in his senior year in high school, according to one account. But he was so good that he got a scholarship. He left college in 1961 to take a $50 a week job as a songwriter for Sunbeam Music. And you never heard of him again, Neil Diamond. He's, uh, who knows he who he was. He made a few shackles choosing that <laughs> He made other a little career. money after that, didn't he? I'll say. Holy cow. Yeah, I'll say. Okay, Marsha, what is sonication, flower vibration, buzz pollination, or how can electric toothbrushes help pollinate plants? Sonication, what is that? They're all the same thing, actually. Oh, they are. Oh. Yeah. Okay, I thought you were getting me a multiple choice. Sonication or buzz pollination is what Britannica.com calls a quirky pollination strategy employed by a number of bee-pollinated plants. The flowers of these plants, they only release their pollen if they're properly vibrated by a buzzing bee. They just evolve that way. Bumblebees make a special type of buzz by vibrating their flight muscles within their thorax 
and that vibration is used in the pollination of certain flowers that release their pollen only when touched by the correct vibration frequency. This phenomenon, known as buzz pollination, or sonication, or floral vibration, occurs in tomatoes, blueberries, and a number of other plants. And that's where toothbrushes come in. All right. <laughs> Some human plant breeders hand-pollinate these plants with the help of electronic toothbrushes. Their vibrators can simulate a bee's buzzing, tricking the plants into releasing their pollen. Okay, McSparty Pants. How about that, huh? You ready? What is the only transcontinental city in the world? What does that mean? means it's so big. It crosses or, an ocean? No, two continents. Transcontinental, that would be Istanbul, oh, right? Yes, yes. bravo. Formerly you, Constantinople. Yes, you are McSmarty Pants. It connects east and west. It connects Asia and Europe. And you know what it was called before Constantinople? Uh, Byzantium? Byzantium. 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 Capital of both the former Byzantine and Ottoman empires. And at one point, it was the eastern capital of the Roman Empire. Yeah. It's yeah. the capital of modern-day Turkey, 15.4 million people. It's pretty good size. Biggest in all of Europe. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought maybe London or Paris was bigger than yeah, that. Yeah, me too, but no. All right, Marcia. <laughs> which Canadian city was originally known as Pile of Bones? Pile of Bones. Bones. Pile of bones. I'll give you some choices Not here. A- Unlike you, I have choices. <laughs> Edmonton, Quebec, Calgary, or Regina? I will say. Pile of bones. Pile of bones, Quebec. Pile of bones, Marsh. Sounds like it's out on the frontier, doesn't it? Pile of bones. Okay. It's Edmonton, Quebec, Ed- Calgary, Edm- or Regina? Edmonton. Regina, Marsha. Thank you. Th- <laughs> it's the capital and second largest city of Canada's Saskatchewan province. Pile of Bones was its name. It started out as a hunter's camp, and the settlement took its name from the bones and skins of the buffalo. And then the European settlers renamed it Regina, Latin for queen, in honor of Queen Victoria. Ah. But that was it. Originally, it was called Pile of Bones. Okay, Bob. What sport was originally associated with the word jazz? Really? The sport was associated with jazz. Is this an indoor sport or an outdoor sport? Outdoor. Outdoor sport. Um, is it a team sport or an individual sport? Team sport. Hmm. Not lacrosse, something like that. No, no. Not tennis. No. Okay, what is it? In 1917, baseball players with a lot of pep were said to have jazz. Oh, okay. Not jazz, but jazz. J-A-S-S. Uh-huh. And that sense of energy that jazz generated was soon given to the music of the day, which was ragtime, Dixieland, and the blues. And the catch-all phrase for these types of music became jazz, a free-spirited musical phenom. And, of course, there are other stories that jazz is a term for sex, and that was the uh, the um, genesis of it in that music. So, interesting story. So, so it was baseball or sex? Yeah, one or of the two. Or both at the same time? It could be. Okay. It could be a home run that way. <laughs> okay. Okay, Marcia, back to Switzerland. Why, okay. why does neutral Switzerland have so many guns? They do? They are armed to the teeth with guns. Really? Well, are they hunters? That's not the reason. Well, they're protecting themselves against the Russians? It's because every Swiss male is required to serve in the military. 
or in an alternative civilian service, and conscription requires citizen soldiers to store their weapons at home for the national defense. So it's more of a militia. Everybody has to be in it, so everybody gets guns. And according to the Geneva-based Small Arms Survey, that means Switzerland has more guns circulating per capita than any country in the world. More than the United States? Except for the United States and Yemen. Okay. Switzerland only has about 8 million people. You can find 2 million firearms in their homes and households. Okay, Bob, you've lived in Milwaukee area now for a while. Uh, About 40 years. Really? Yeah. Jeez. Okay. But before you came... You knew what made Milwaukee famous. What was it, of course? Uh, beer. That's right. I, I heard about it all my life. Yeah. No it, matter where you lived in the United <laughs> States, you heard about Milwaukee beer. That's right. Different and, beers. And there were uh, lots of them, lots of them, still are. But what were the four top national brands of beer and maybe a slogan, if you can remember one? Oh, that came out of Milwaukee? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well. Give me four. All right. Um the uh, Blatt's beer was, uh, I'm from Milwaukee and I ought to know. You see, isn't that crazy yeah. that stayed in your head? <laughs> I'm I, from Milwaukee. I love that song. I, that still sings in my head. I remember because, you know, I'd see this stuff on, my dad watched all kind of sports, so it would be on all the ball games, yeah. you know, these yeah. commercials or on TV at night. That's right. But okay. that one, that one especially, remind, <laughs> I love the sound of it. I'm from Milwaukee and I ought to know It's draft fruit, flat beer, wherever you go Smoother and fresher A spilling, that's clear Flats is Milwaukee's finest beer Did you like hearing it again? <laughs> that was great. <laughs> All right, here's another one I okay. remember. And this is, uh, let's see, Schlitz, the beer that made Milwaukee famous. That's right. If you like it, like with a big taste too, there's only one brew that will do when you're out of Schlitz. Unthinkable. You're out of beer, real gusto in the great light beer Schlitz. The beer that made Milwaukee famous. Yeah, my dad had a big Schlitz sign that said that up in his bar. That's right, because your dad had a bar uh-huh. on the Milwaukee's north side. And uh, we, we had a few of the signs and stuff from that for a while, uh-huh. didn't we? I think Ben Ben has the clock now. He's got the. Uh, I saw. I'm not going to say what clock because that's an, another answer. Oh, uh, Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> that's right. I saw that it, when we were out there visiting him. He's got that clock. That's right. What you have, Paps Blue Ribbon? What'll you have, Paps Blue Ribbon? What'll you have, Paps Blue Ribbon? Paps Blue Ribbon, dear. Did that refresh your memory? Yes, it refreshed it does. mine. Yes. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and I think at the younger generation, here's one, I don't remember hearing this, PBR me ASAP. <laughs> that sounds like the texting era. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. That must be what it's from. Okay, and give me one more big one, still here. Miller. That's it. Miller, and uh, of course, Miller Lite, uh, great taste, less filling. Uh-huh, and then, uh, wait a minute, Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. There you go, beer. the champagne of bottled beer. That's the one that rings in me. <laughs> And it's Miller time. That you've was like got the, the time. Oh, that's right. If you've got the time, we've, we've got, got the, the beer. beer. Okay, we beer better move after on. Beer after <laughs> beer. Wait a minute, we could hear it. If you've got the time, we've got the beer. Beer after beer. If you've got the time, you've got the time. We've got the beer. Miller beer. There, now that sounded better than you and me singing. <laughs> 
did it. Did it. Okay. All right, move on. All right, so we went down memory lane with beer and all of those songs we learned the words to before we were ever of drinking age. Oh, yeah. This was just stuff that seeped into our consciousness as kids. Beer and cigarettes were the big commercials on TV. Constantly, constantly. Now it's for... It's pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which cigarettes and beer screwed you up on. <laughs> well, that's why we have pharmaceuticals. <laughs> yeah, that's what, It's a logical line of thinking that's here. That's right. Cause yeah. and effect, I think uh-huh. it's called. That's the reason we have all the pharmaceuticals, because there was too much beer and cigarettes <laughs> back in the day. All right. Okay, Bob, I think it's time for a break. All right. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this each week for our Cedarburg Public Library, and then we put that on podcast platforms, and it goes out all over the world. Well, Marcia, you and I do a lot of the research for this show on the web. Yes. Using Google and search engines, and so I was finding it very interesting that Bing just got launched, Microsoft's uh, search engine, with ChatGPT built in. We've used this ChatGPT because our son uses it in his work. We tried it. Because you ask it a question, it comes back with a fully written statement or could even do a generate a report on what you're talking about, but you don't know where it came from. Right. Well, the new Bing Chat GPT integration includes footnotes. So it, oh, there'll geez. be a footnote there you can click on and go to the source that they consulted when the software, the robot, wrote this yeah. paragraph. Okay. Now you'll have a footnote. <laughs> And a resource. Yeah, and you could say, okay, that comes from yeah. the Encyclopedia Botanica or yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or Jim Schwartz down oh, in Jim the Jim Schwartz, yeah. Jim Schwartz wrote that on his uh, little blog in <laughs> 2021. And we're supposed to believe him? No. I don't think so. According to Jim Schwartz, no. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I just thought that was fascinating. I just heard about that. Okay. What is the largest named number you'll find? The largest named number yeah, you'll find? you'll find it in uh, some dictionaries and so forth. Like uh, infinity, you get that far. Okay, I think it's 100 billion godzillions, and it's God's <laughs> money, and it's the biggest money you can have. It's God, God's money. God's, godzillions, yes. That's, that's very funny. All right, next question. <laughs> All right, what's the answer? It's Googleplex. Googleplex? Yep. That sounds like a part of the Google headquarters it building is. or they something. It is. The name that is exactly what Google... Google took its name from the Google. A Google is a one followed by 100 zeros. Yeah. And the highest named number, a Googleplex, is a one followed by a Google of numbers, <laughs> which is 10th to the 100th power. Oh, my. Wow. Okay. So Googleplex is not a place. Yeah. Although it is a place. They named their whole complex, uh, their headquarters in California, Googleplex. <laughs> Sounds like a hotel, doesn't it? It does. I'm staying at the, at the Googleplex. Google yeah. Yes, I'm on room 44. Yeah. All right, Marcia. Uh, interesting thing here from uh, our daughter-in-law, Daria Solovieva, sent me, and it's how some big cities are naming their equipment, like garbage trucks and, <laughs> and snow plows. And it's really funny. They have contests. And I've got some for you here. I thought you might find it interesting. Okay. Starts out with a story about a guy named Joe Granieri. He has plowed roads in the village of New Paltz, New York, for two decades. Recently, his truck got a name, Forget a Plowed It. <laughs> Forget a Plowed It. Isn't that funny? That's very funny. <laughs> and there are contests like this all over the country for naming things. For instance, these are snow plows. Loplowski, Control Salt Delete. You know, like Control Alt Delete, but yes. Control. Uh-huh. Jennifer Snopez. <laughs> 
In Muncie, Indiana, locals suggested Hall and Totes <laughs> and Truck Norris for, th- for their garbage trucks. <laughs> Why not? Okay. And the big Laplowski. That was another <laughs> Laplowski. Bin Diesel was another one, <laughs> even though that truck runs on compressed gas. Uh, Minnesota Department of Transportation, Skid Vicious, <laughs> Sweet Child O'Brien, because of the salt, of course, mm-hmm. Bike Dyson, and Le Broom James. These are sweeping machines, sweepers. I, I don't know why Bike Dyson is that way, but it's funny. It's a Dyson is a vacuum cleaner. Oh, that's right. That's right. For So it's sweeping. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah, have enough of these? Yeah. Okay, I got more uh, later. No, that, uh, They're kind of funny. That, no, that's enough. No, I got more. The more funny ones coming up. Oh, okay. All right, Bob. What was the original name of Paris? The original name of Paris. This was a Celtic city, wasn't it? Or was it the Roman name? Yes, yes. The Roman name. Okay. Well, see, Londondinium was London. I can't remember what Paris was. The Roman city of Lutetia Ah. was the predecessor of modern-day Paris. The Romans conquered the area in 52 B.C. Gosh, those Romans got around, man. (laughs) And began their settlement on an island in the middle of the Seine. Ile de la Cité. (laughs) I think that's the one. Yeah? Yeah. The prosperous settlement soon spread to both banks of the river and was later renamed Paris after its early inhabitants, a Gaelic tribe known as the Parisi. Hmm. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh-huh. The Parisi. So I like that name better. The, the Parisi. Sounds like they, those guys knew how to party, I think. A, yeah. All right, Marsha, I have a question for you about alpine lakes. Now, an alpine lake is usually a lake that's at least 10,000 feet in elevation. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, what is the largest alpine lake in North America? And I'll give you choices here. Is it Yellowstone Lake, Lake Tahoe? Crater Lake, Sawtooth Lake, or Redfish Lake? What is the largest, and I'm talking about the size of the surface area, the largest alpine lake in North America? I'll just say Crater Lake. That's the second largest. It's the deepest, though, isn't it? It is the deepest, but what's the largest? I don't know. Lake Tahoe. Oh, is it? It's between Nevada and California. It's North America's largest alpine lake. It's 22 miles long, 12 miles wide, and 191 square miles of surface. Why is it an alpine again? Because it's 10,000 feet or higher. Oh, okay. It's only trailing the five Great Lakes as the largest lake by volume in the United States. No kidding. So it's huge. Lake Louise and Moraine Lake, both in Alberta, Canada, are also among the largest alpine lakes in North America. Uh, Lake Tahoe is 1,644 feet deep, and you're right. Crater Lake is the deepest lake in North America. It's 1,943 feet deep. Now, how deep is that? This is an interesting visual exercise. Imagine this, okay? Uh, Imagine stacking the Eiffel Tower on top of the Washington Monument on top of the Statue of Liberty, (laughs) and the Statue of Liberty would still be 100 feet underwater. Wow. That's how deep I love Crater these, Lake is. I love these visual comparisons. Hard to believe. Here's a quickie. Ready? Yeah. Once you get on top of the summit of Mount Everest, how much space do you have to walk around? Oh, well, there's <laughs> not much up there, I don't think. Uh, I think it's pretty small, maybe. Are you talking square foot or what? It's about the size of two ping pong tables. Jeez. Can you believe that? No. Two ping pong tables, that's all the... And then you you could fall off, you could fall down. Oh, That'd yeah. be terrible. <laughs> so let's not do it next weekend like we were talking Holy about. cow. Okay. okay. All right, back to Alpine Lakes. What's the highest Alpine Lake in the world? It's in the Americas, but not North America. 
Oh, it's in the Americas, not. So is it South America? Yes, it is in South America. Brilliant, Marcia. It's a tourist destination well-known for hiking and sightseeing. Attracts travelers all over the world. (sighs) Tell me. It's Ojos del Saloda in Argentina. Okay, that that wasn't at the top of my head. The world's highest active volcano and the world's highest lake sits at an elevation of 20,965 feet. That's a tall lake. That's amazing. Yes. Okay. St. Lucia is the only country to be named after what? A woman. That's right. I know the answer to that. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Of the the 195 sovereign countries in the world, only one, St. Lucia, is named after a woman. Who is St. Lucia? The island country in the West Indies in the Eastern Caribbean Sea was named after St. Lucy of Syracuse, a Christian martyr from Sicily. And this is not Syracuse, New York she was was in. (laughs) Ah, not there. St. Lucia covers just 238 miles, square miles, making it one of the world's smallest countries in the world. So we haven't named a big country for women, only tiny countries. Tiny, itsy-bitsy countries. Insignificant, small, little (laughs) tiny. Insignificant, small. That's too bad. You can be the girl country. But I like the name, St. Lucy. Yeah. St. Lucy. Okay. It's pronounced Lucia. We're always searching for fun little museums to go to. Well, I am. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Let's be clear. (laughs) (laughs) Where can you find a museum devoted only to bread? Now, I'll give you cities here. A bread museum? A bread museum. But there's no bread in it. I'll explain this in a minute. (laughs) Ulm, Germany, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. Helsinki, Finland, or Grenada, Spain. I'll say Ulm. It is. The Museum of Bread Culture. Ulm, Germany. There are 16,000 artifacts on display covering everything from the 6,000-year history of bread to books about bread. And art that highlights bread. It opened in 1955. More than a million people have visited since. And if you can't find it, there are breadcrumbs that can take you there. No. (laughs) And one thing you won't find in the museum is any real bread. According to the museum's website, bread itself is not part of the collection, reflecting the museum founder's firm belief that bread is not a museum artifact, (laughs) but a food freshly baked every day. Ah, With warm melted butter. Okay, back to the uh, equipment naming contest, oh, Marcia. Yeah. Yes, all right. Minnesota's their latest contest. One winner was Blizzo, an homage to the uh, yeah, Grammy Lizzo. winner Lizzo, yeah. whose career began in Minneapolis. There's also Clearopathra, like Clearopath. Yeah. Better call Salt. That's <laughs> and Hans Snowlow. Oh, that's so cute. Okay. In, in Michigan, there's Melton John, Snowbegon Kenobi, Aaron Burr, sir. <laughs> sort of like takeoff of Hamilton. Uh-huh. Brr, for snow okay, removal. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. these are just names people are giving to earth moving and snow equipment around the country. And our thanks to Daria Solovieva Smith for giving us that. What it, did you ever name your car? Do you have a name? Oh yeah, always Hal was my favorite. Yeah, because uh, Hal would run without me putting my foot on the gas pedal. Oh, so Hal did whatever he wanted to do. Yeah. Just like that computer in the movie, 2001. That's right. That's funny. Did you, what about you? No, never named a car. No? No. And- that's so stupid. Why would you do that? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> All right, that's it. All right, here's two quotes, Bob, with no attribution, but I find them personally very meaningful. Okay. One is, follow your heart but take your brain with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it's good advice for all. And the second one, I don't want to brag or make anybody jealous, 
but I can still fit into the earrings I wore in high school. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. And I can still use the pencil I used in high school. So what can I say? All right, that's it for today. We hope you've enjoyed our half hour of fun. And we invite you to submit any questions you may have that you'd like us to top one another with by going to our website, theofframp.show, and scrolling all the way down to contact us. Hope you join us next time. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. You've been listening to The The Off-Ramp. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The The Off-Ramp. We're never tired of saying The The (laughs) Off-Ramp. Okay. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.